Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Penscast Mailbag. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna, and as always, alongside me is fellow contributing writer over at pensburg.com. He is the co-host of the Penscast and the Penscast Mailbag. It is Robbie Noggle. Robbie, uh, we don't have Penguins news to break down, but I was watching those games. We're recording this on uh, Monday night, the day after the day after the two game sevens. Uh, between Colorado and and Seattle, and uh, Boston and Florida, and uh, before we get into the mailbag, I, th- those two game sevens talk about talk about upset fr- from a neutral perspective. I, I did not. We obviously don't have dogs in that fight, but for the Bruins, I mean, the success that they had in the regular season for it to all go up in flames in seven games for the defending Stanley Cup champion, the Avalanche to lose to the upstart Kraken in their first ever playoff series in just their second year of existence. You can't ask for anything more if you were a neutral watching that game and you, boy, you got your money's worth in terms of the excitement uh, of the first round. I can't remember who said it. I saw it on Twitter a couple of years ago. It was an NHL coach at the time that said the the two weeks of the first round matchups are the best two weeks in all of hockey and perhaps all in all of professional sport because there's so much unpredictability. There's so much chaos. Uh, and all of that was on, was on full display last night. Uh, d- did you have any, any thoughts? I mean, looking at what the Bruins accomplished and what the, what the avalanche were trying to do, what were you, what were you thinking? If, if you didn't see it last night, if you woke up this morning and saw the, the score line, can you believe that both Boston and Colorado, the two probably biggest favorites in this tournament, are already out. In those two games, especially the Boston game, because it just felt like, I mean, Colorado, yeah, defending champs is really hard to do. Uh, a lot of injuries they battled this year. And, and Seattle, a great upstart story. But the Boston series, it just felt like, if you remember back in 2019 when the Tampa Bay Lightning were swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets after what was the greatest regular season in NHL history until the Bruins came along. That didn't even feel as shocking as as this because Boston, they're up 3-1. They won both games on the road, completely in control, and they just melted down. It felt like, it felt like as soon as any kind of adversity came their way, they completely melted. Uh, but they didn't really deal with much adversity this year in terms of on ice struggles. I mean, they just completely dominated everyone. Even in games where they didn't play great, they still found a way to win. Everything was clicking for them. And now nothing. They are in the same position as eight other teams. Uh, and that doesn't count the 14 other ones that were already uh, in the offseason uh, prior, to, prior to the playoffs. So the President's Trophy, I mean, that's an accomplishment. There's no doubt about that. Being that good for 82 games is not easy. You have to the with the numbers they have. You have to be good uh, from game one to game eighty two, and they were. And it just yeah, there's going to be a lot written about Boston in the next coming weeks, uh, trying to figure out what the heck went wrong. But you can write all you want, but sometimes it's just one team gets the better of the other over the course of seven games, and that's what happened. And it was wild. It really was to kind of just uh, even that game seven. They had it until a minute left, uh, and Florida ties it. And then wins it in overtime, and it just, yeah, it just, I, it's hockey's weird, and but hockey can give you those kind of moments, and uh, they're pretty incredible when they happen. 
All right. Well, with that out of the way, uh, we will dive straight into our mailbag. It is a pretty big mailbag this week. I believe it's 16 questions, if I remember correctly. Uh, Robbie, like always, uh, we will get you started with question number one for those interested in contributing to this mailbag edition of the Penscast. As we roll on through the offseason, you can do so by following our Twitter account at PenguinsFFSN. Every week we will send out a mailbag tweet asking for your participation in this episode, in this podcast episode. These mailbag podcasts are all about the listeners who take the time to listen to what we have to say and what we ramble on. So we want to continuously give back to the listeners who keep coming back week in and week out and answer some of their burning questions. Robbie, like I said, you will get question number one and we will go back and forth. Question number one does come from Brendan. And it's a pretty good question looking into the future. What do you think Sidney Crosby's next contract looks like? And uh, Brendan here gives you a couple of examples. Do you think he goes with what is estimated as true value, which is, as Brendan puts it, $8.7 million for over three three to four seasons maybe? Maybe he takes a lesser kind of Evgeny Malkin-esque deal, maybe five point five for two to three years as he gets up there in age and closer to the age of 40. Does he possibly retire at the end of this contract, which Brendan does not hope to see, or do you think he goes absolutely dirt cheap to trying to surround himself to win another Stanley Cup? Uh, I don't think he's going to go dirt cheap because I don't think that would necessarily be, even be fair for him. I like the the Malkin deal in that ballpark, the Malkin Latang uh, kind of deal. Again, it will all be depending on. I think him and Malkin want to try to go out together if it's possible. Uh, Crosby still has after this. He still has. Uh, two years left, so he can't even sign uh, a new deal until uh, next summer. So we're a little ways off that uh, yet. But I think it'll be in that $6 million range. I, I really do think it'll be like that. Maybe he gets a little bit more because uh, he's the captain, and yeah, maybe he gets a bit more. But overall, I think you see him somewhere in the two, three-year range, three, four years maybe, uh, around $6, 7000000 million, somewhere in there. Uh, a little bit of a downgrade in pay but uh, at that point i think that um he's okay with that don't think he retires quite yet uh, unless something would happen that he just does an, an injury an injury or something but i really think that you'll see a three to four year deal around that six million dollar number uh question number two uh from brendan uh zucker made it seem like he wants to stay here what do you think is the lowest he will sign for i say we give him a rust like contract uh duration to bring down the cap it. Who cares if he's a shell in, in year six? We could probably eat half the salary and trade him for a third. Brendan suggests a six-year contract uh, at $3.5 million per year. Jason Zucker is a going to be... Uh, there are so many question marks with this team heading into this offseason. Goaltending, defense, what, what to do with Jason Zucker. Uh, the new general manager is going to have his hands full. We had talked, I imagine Robbie and I, we had talked previously, whether it was a mailbag segment or what have you, regarding Jason Zucker's next contract at some point over the last however many weeks we've been doing the podcast now. Now that the season is in the rearview mirror, I'm so curious because... He his cap hit was 5.5, and for a long time, Penguins fans, myself included, were saying he is making way too much money. I know Jim Rutherford didn't sign him 
to that contract when he traded for him from the Minnesota Wild. So it, that does not go fall on Jim Rutherford's shoulders. He was making 5.5, and we were all saying he gets injured too much and he is not worth the price tag. This is probably going to be Jason Zucker's final contract, or final big contract, I should say. At 31 years old, it gets kind of sketchy because uh, you don't really want to be handing out massive contracts to guys who are already over the age of 30. But kind of like what Brendan says, at this point, you should stay committed to this core for the next, I don't know, two, three, four years at max. If it means giving Zucker a five or six year extension, then so be it. Because the top six is not the issue. Assuming Jason Zucker can stay healthy for the next couple of seasons while Crosby and Malkin are still producing as elite centers, I really don't care what it takes. We know the salary cap is going to go up. We know that the general manager is probably going to shed some other contracts from this roster as well, perhaps maybe Mikel Granlin as an example. So I really, at this point, I don't care if it's a five- or six-year deal. I wouldn't be surprised if it is, if, if his cap hit stays relatively the same. If he signs for four, three, four, five years at maybe 5.2, 5.5, 5.1, somewhere in that range, I, w- I would not be surprised if he, because of the season he had, if he maintains his current cap hit or close to it and signs for maybe three, four, five seasons. Perhaps he takes a hometown discount. I don't know. Some players uh, are very willing to do that. Other players obviously are chasing the money, and that's their prerogative. They are absolutely entitled to do that. I think you should get as much money as you can. It's a very, very interesting scenario. I am all for bringing Jason Zucker back essentially at any cost. Now, obviously not seven, eight, nine million, obviously, and he knows he's not worth that himself, but you know, five, five and a half, maybe six at most for four, five, six years. Because like Brendan said, at that time, near the end of the contract, all of these players are either going to be retired or at the very end of their rope anyway. So maximize what you can in the short term and worry about the long-term ramifications when you get to that bridge. Question number three, also from Brendan. Hunter Hodes from the Locked On Penguins podcast was saying his top two priorities are buying out Mikel Granlund and acquiring a left-handed defenseman. Brandon disagrees with both of these points, but has two questions for you, Robbie. So it's a two, it's a two for two for one. Do you believe that the Penguins could get anything in a potential trade for Mikhail Granlin, even potentially a reduced draft pick for more for less than what we paid for, or even a second rounder, but perhaps take 25% of Granlin's contract, uh, his cap hit for the remaining duration of Granlin's contract. Brandon is not a fan of buyouts, even though his cost is not too bad. Additionally, in terms of a potential return on a Granlin trade, he wants to know, Ravi, what are your thoughts on the left-handed defenseman? Where does that fall on your your list of team needs? For Brandon, I think we have a lot of in-house options, and he gives a, a potential death chart listing either uh, Marcus Pedersen with Chris Letang, P.O. Joseph with Jeff Petrie, and Ty Smith with Jan Ruda, or Jan Ruda potentially with Latang, uh, Peterson and Petrie together, and uh, P.O. Joseph and uh, Ty Smith or and or Mark Friedman. So a lot of information there to digest. Essentially, Robbie, do you think we can get anything for Mikel Granlund, and how uh, how important is it for the Penguins to upgrade their defense? 
So we'll start with the Granlin uh, point here that uh, Brendan makes, and I'm with Hunter on this. They got to get rid of Mikael Granlin somehow. I definitely think you could get a pick back from Mikael Granlin. I just think that it's going to cost you a draft pick to get rid of him. And unless you eat a decent chunk of that salary, I know it's only two more years, but I mean, the price to buy him out is not that bad. I don't know what his really, if he has any draft stock at all, to be honest, he he's been that he was that bad after coming to Pittsburgh and you're dealing from a desperate situation that everybody's going to be knowing, know that you're just trying to get rid of him to get rid of him because it was a mistake. So uh, you're not dealing with a very, you're not dealing with a very strong hand there. And I would much rather keep that pick if it meant trading away a pick to get rid of him uh, to package Mikel Granlin and a pick. Uh, even if you're getting some kind of pick in return, you're going to be giving away the more valuable uh, asset there. So uh, unless you find a general manager that's willing to part with uh, a pick and just, just to get Mikel Granlin in return, then roll with it. But other than that, I take the buyout every day of the week. Uh, I that's the way that I've been leaning uh, since the season ended, and there's nothing that has popped up that has changed my mind on that. Uh, to point number two, uh, the left-handed defenseman, yeah, it's going to be a need. Now, how they go about that uh, all remains to be seen. Uh, Chris Letang's partner was a left-handed Brian Dumlin, but Brian Dumlin, again, not an offensive force, but provided obviously solid defense. He was a great defender in his prime. Uh, slipped a bit at the end, but that's pretty much what we've been harping on the last uh, two seasons. So I'm not going to focus too much on that. I like the idea of trying Pedersen with Latang, um, but I think either way, there's going to be some kind of reinforcement brought in uh, on that blue line where that person plugs in exactly and who that person is uh, remains to be seen, obviously a few weeks until uh, we really get into that kind of discussion. But I think that at some point you're going to see a left-handed defenseman brought in, whether that's by trade or by free agency, we don't know at this moment, but there's going to be a lot of roster moves this offseason, and that is just going to be one of, well, I guess technically Mikhail Granlin and the left-handed defenseman are just going to be two of what is likely going to be many, many moves uh, reshaping this uh, team when the new front office is brought in. Uh, question number four, again from Brendan. The NHL is Canadian and American. The majority of players are Canadian and second most are American. But when two Canadian teams play, it's only O Canada uh, sung as the national anthem. Ditto uh, about two United States teams playing uh, and the Star Spangled Banner being sung. It should be both every game, in Brendan's opinion. The more I thought about this this kind of question, I mean, first off, unrelated to Brendan's question, I think O Canada slaps as like a national anthem. Living in Pittsburgh and obviously not playing Canadian playing in Canada against Canadian teams. Uh, you obviously don't hear O Canada all that much, but comparing the two national anthems, give me O Canada over the star spangled banner seven days a week, 24 hours a day. It's, it's so much better of a national anthem. Just my opinion. Now, should both anthems be played? I get why the league does it. I, I, I imagine it's basically just because for ge geographical differences, you know, are, if the Sharks and Kings are playing each other in, in California, is it really necessary to play O Canada? 
I think maybe it would be a kind gesture for like like Brendan says, a lot of the Canadian players, the majority of which are Canadian. So maybe it would be uh, a nice gesture for the league to do. I know it would only take up an extra minute, minute and a half in in pregame ceremonies and and whatnot throughout the regular season and postseason. So. I don't have a problem with it. If you wanted to implement the the dual national the dual national anthem strategy here, yeah, I don't I don't have a problem with it. I mean, I don't really think of national anthems when I'm thinking of NHL games, but I can understand where where the thought comes from. Why, based on the Canadian and American player difference discrepancy, the difference between the two in the league, why uh, why Brendan is calling for the need or the want, I should say, to have both of these anthems played in the National Hockey League. Question number five, I believe it's the last question from Brendan this week. And it's not really a question, it's more or less a statement, Robbie. Uh, I, I wouldn't have a problem with this. I know we have spitballed some things in the past about getting our listeners more involved during the summer months, but Brendan wants to do a mock draft podcast with a few of the top mailbag contributors so we we have brendan brian is constantly submitting questions to us we've had snail coming back week in and week out and submitting some questions to us so robbie uh i can't say that i'm too incredibly well versed in the in the nhl draft scene i might have to recruit someone like jesse marshall to come in and give me his opinion for all of these prospects but uh what are your thoughts robbie on perhaps doing something like this as we get closer to the draft We've talked, discussed on the podcast or uh, just between us of different ideas uh, for content, uh, especially in the summer when it kind of dries up a little bit. Um, I don't know much about the draft. I won't. I mean, outside of the names at the beginning, and obviously we're going to have something to talk about with the Penguins picking somewhere in that first round and uh, with the lottery uh, coming up here next week and stuff like that. Um, So we will have stuff to talk about that way, but we have some listeners that want to get in on a mock draft hey i'm all on board question number six uh now we switch over to brian as previously mentioned uh if the toronto maple Leafs were to move on from kyle dubas this offseason and the penguins did end up making him our next general manager do you think uh, he'd have some pull in maybe getting uh, matthews to pittsburgh somehow when his contract is up in toronto i hate to be the bearer of bad news for brian I think the the dream of Kyle Dubas to Pittsburgh was extinguished when the Maple Leafs eliminated the Lightning and advanced to the second round for the first time since 2004. While that kind of maybe puts a damper on the Kyle Dubas to Pittsburgh train, maybe it doesn't. Who knows? We'll have to see how the offseason plays out when the Stanley Cup is awarded. As it pertains to Austin Matthews, however... Whether it's Kyle Dubas there or an, another general manager, I believe it's going to be that general manager's priority to make sure Austin Matthews does not leave the city of Toronto. I don't know if 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 Matthews has a personal attachment to Dubas or vice versa. I would imagine when, when Matthews' contract expires at the end of the 2023-24 season that he re-ups in Toronto. I don't think he'd come to Pittsburgh. If he does leave Toronto. It wouldn't be the first time a major player leaves Toronto to to go elsewhere. If he does leave Toronto, the only place I could see him going would be Arizona because I know he's a native of Arizona. I always thought it would be like a cool, maybe not Cinderella story, but a cool story nonetheless uh, with the, the Coyotes struggling for so many years to have a homegrown talent come and basically lead that team 
as its captain. Austin Matthews obviously being one of the best players in the league. That would provide a jolt in the arm for the Coyotes for sure. Whether or not Dubas comes to Pittsburgh, I doubt he brings Matthews with him as much as we would want that because Matthews is just hitting his prime and it would be quite the baton pass from Crosby to Matthews uh, eventually becoming Pittsburgh's number one center. We can all dream, and at the very least, if it doesn't happen in real life, you can go on the NHL video game and trade for Matthews and put him in a Pittsburgh sweater. So you may not have the real thing, but the virtual thing is, uh, well, for now, it's just going to have to do. Here's an interesting question regarding Sidney Crosby once again. What do you think Crosby does when he finally hangs up the skates? So I kind of had two trains of thought on this. One, Crosby's dedicated basically his entire life to hockey. So by the time he retires, let's say he retires at 40. He basically dedicated 40 years of playing hockey. He just, for at least a year, just disappears and nobody hears from him. He just goes up to Nova Scotia or wherever he vacations and does absolutely nothing for a year. Or not nothing, but is just completely away from the spotlight for a year just to step away from hockey. My second train of thought is Sidney Crosby is so obsessed with hockey, he can't stay away for that long. Whether or not that means working somehow in the Penguins organization, which I think is something that is very possible assuming Fenway Sports Group would want to have him around, which I think they would. My two trains of thought are he's dedicated so much time to hockey that he's going to take a year away to unwind, get away from it. But the other part of me is saying that he is so obsessed with hockey that he could not possibly stay away that long. Uh, again, maybe he says he's going to step away, and then it comes October, and the next thing you know, you see him at the Penguins training facility working out with some of the players. I, I don't know what he'll do. Again, Sidney Crosby has been obsessive about the sport for his entire life. By the time he retires, one thinks that maybe he just wants to step away from the game and, and relax. But maybe he's just so obsessed with the game that he feels like he still has something to give as a mentor, scout, development coach, something that he can't fully step away. And we see him uh, in some kind of, in the Penguins organization as uh, some kind of coach or scout or something, uh, just so he can still be around the game. Question number eight uh, from Brian. Again, obviously Marc-Andre Fleury is more beloved in Pittsburgh, but bringing him back next season and what he claims to be his last, se his last season would not help the, the team at all. I tend to agree. Acquiring Fleury or bringing him back to Pittsburgh would just be a lot of sentimental feeling at this point. However, just today, uh, as I was researching, it looks like Fleury put the kibosh on any sort of trade rumors saying that he is not going anywhere. If, if this is indeed his final season, the upcoming 23-24 season, uh, it looks like he will remain with the Minnesota Wild. He said, quote, I'm tired of moving. I'm not going anywhere. So... If that's it, then perhaps perhaps his final year will will come with the Minnesota Wild. I think eventually he will he will retire. He's obviously going to be remembered as a Pittsburgh Penguin. That's where obviously the majority of his success came from. And I will not be surprised if he retires as a Penguin. But as far as his playing career goes, if his word is to be believed, if he knows in his heart of hearts that this will be his last season, then uh, it looks like 
what he says goes. I mean, he has moved around quite a bit since leaving Pittsburgh, and it is a pain to pick up and take your belongings to a new place. So he apparently is not going anywhere, even if his role next season is more of a backup with uh, with Gustafson really taking the mantle and the starters load. So I don't think he'll be coming back to Pittsburgh, but if he does, I would imagine it would be for like a ceremonial retirement kind of thing. I don't think he's going to be playing for the Penguins uh, really again, obviously, at this point in his career. Question number nine for you, Robbie, comes from Brian. If the rumors are true that Winnipeg Jets goaltender Connor Heldbuck does not want to be a part of a rebuild and the Jets go that route, they go the rebuild route, would you rather make a push for Hellebuck uh, rather than trying to acquire Nashville goaltender UC Soros? Uh, either or. Uh, honestly, when the Hellebuck news came out, I think the minds in Pittsburgh it immediately went to Oh, we got to make a. Uh, this is something we got to at least kick the tires on. And Adam Gretz uh, wrote a piece for Pennsburg on, on Monday, basically saying the exact same thing that the Penguins have to at least uh, make a phone call. And I completely agree with that. Now, Hellebuck, a little bit different situation than Soros contract wise. Soros, a restricted free agent, whereas Connor Hellebuck has a year left on his current deal before he hits the free agent market. So uh, there would be contract issues to work out with. Either of them, though, Hellebuck uh, would be uh, under contract for at least next season, so it wouldn't be an immediate uh, need uh, to get done uh, with that deal in place that he'd be coming over on. But, no, I think Hellebuck would be a completely suitable goaltender in Pittsburgh, uh, depending on the price, obviously. So, yeah, they would they have to do their due diligence. Um, it certainly sounds like Hellebuck has no desire to be a part of a, a rebuild project in Winnipeg, and if you listen to any quotes that came out of that locker room after their elimination from the playoffs. Uh, it sounds like there's a bunch going on up there. It doesn't sound like a great situation, and it seems like there's going to be quite a bit of turnover uh, this offseason. Uh, question number 10 from Brian. Do you like the signing of Alex Nylander to a one-year deal? He showed some promise in the lineup, and cheap young players with upside are what the Penguins need. I agree with Brian in that the cheap young players part with upside is what we need. Here's what I found interesting about the Nylander deal. It's a one year, one way deal. So my thought is, well, first off, there was no general manager to even sign or offer or sign the contract extension. So I don't know who was, who was going to Nylander and saying, Hey, we have this contract. Do you want it? Maybe Mike Sullivan, maybe an FSG representative, either way. Uh, Alex Nylander is signed through the 2023-24 season, and it's a one-year, one-way deal. The one-way part is interesting because it suggests to me that Nylander, at least in the beginning of the season, is going to get a shot, perhaps in the bottom six. Now, that doesn't mean he can't be with the one-way deal. You would imagine he would spend at least a portion of the season in the NHL. It doesn't mean he can't be sent to the AHL Penguins, he would have to go through waivers. But if that's the case, Robbie, then why wouldn't the Penguins have signed him to a two-way deal to make the transaction, the recall process easier on their end? So the one-way deal, perhaps I'm just looking into it too much and he will be in Wilkes-Barre next season. That's definitely a possibility because it's not like teams are knocking down the door to acquire Alex Nylander services. But at the very least, the contract term, the terminology was interesting and in that it is a one-way deal. If Nylander does 
carve out a spot in training camp and preseason and earns a spot in the NHL lineup. Like Brian says, it's it's what we need. I think Nylander is 24, 25, 26 years old, around there. So a cheap winger on a very cheap deal, it's absolutely what the Penguins need to try and fill out this bottom six. Anything, any bottom six is going to be better. The bar was set so low last season. So we'll see what Nylander can do, perhaps in a more extended role, if he does earn a shot with the NHL club heading into next season. Question number 11, also from Brian. Robbie, what are your thoughts about bringing Tyler Bertuzzi to Pittsburgh this offseason? If you watch Tyler Bertuzzi at all in the playoffs here, even leading up to the playoffs once he got traded to Boston, the kind of guy that he kind of does everything. He had a great playoff uh, series with the Bruins. Now, I think Boston's going to do a good bit of work to try to get him uh, to remain in Boston. You could do a lot worse than, than Tyler Bertuzzi on your roster. So uh, depending on what the Penguins have money-wise, what else, what other needs they need to fill, I, Bertuzzi would be, I think, a terrific option uh, to at least take a look at and see what uh, he would command on the open market. He may be a little too expensive after this uh, kind of end-of-season run into the playoffs he went on. And I, I think Boston's going to make a very hard push uh, to keep him in the Bruins uniform. But, hey, if push comes to shove and he hits the open market, um, whoever the Penguins' general manager is at the time, I think needs to be making a phone call to Tyler Bertuzzi's agent and uh, seeing what kind of contract demands are and see if he'd be willing or open to coming to Pittsburgh because I think he would look uh, really good in that roster uh, alongside the likes of Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, uh, Gensel, and all them. Question number 12 from Brian. How young is too young to take your kid to a pop punk show? My girlfriend and I were thinking of taking our daughter, uh, who will be two in July, to see all-time low at stage AE in June. Well, Brian, as the foremost expert on pop punk, I will (laughs) say, I mean, obviously your two-year-old is not going to remember a thing. If you can't find a babysitter and have to take her, then, hey, you have to do what you have to do. I went to see Andrews and Airwaves, which is Tom DeLonge's side project uh, back in 2021. And he's up there on stage. And if you know anything about Tom DeLonge and the his history with Blink-182, his performances on stage and some of the banter he does in between songs can be kind of raunchy. I mean, that's kind of the reputation that they developed uh, as they skyrocketed to fame in the late 90s and early 2000s. So uh, there were a couple of uh, younger kids there at that show. And DeLong's up there, F this, F that. Uh, things that I don't want to say here, obviously, to keep this PG. If I was in that, if I was in your situation, Brian, and you, now if you really, if you want to take her and you want to do that with her and like make a memory with her, then sure, that's fine too. So take a couple of pictures. I'm sure she'll be fine. Uh, if nothing else, like you'll tell her when she's older that we got you started early and uh, that's why you listen to this music now at 13, 14. And it's not a phase, mom, as uh, as the, <laughs> the, uh, the memes as they go around on the interwebs so often say. Question number 13 for you, Robbie, comes from Brian. Is it a good thing for the salary cap if a playoff series goes to game six or game seven in every series? I have to think the more money the league takes in, the faster the player's escrow can be covered, causing the salary cap to rise by a significant amount in the process. Anytime a league can pull in as much money as possible, it's a good thing. So, yeah, I mean, 
any series that goes six or seven games, uh, each home team's at least getting three games worth of revenue from those uh, games. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, as much money as the league can make, whether it's by ticket sales, merchandise sales, concession sales, uh, whatever, the more they make, the easier it's going to be to make the to, to make the numbers work and hopefully bump that uh, salary cap up uh, as much as possible. Hopefully this is the last year of an, only a rising by a uh, dollar. And hopefully next year when we're talking at this time, there is a more significant increase in revenue or increase in salary cap due to the uh, revenue increases since COVID, uh, which really, I mean, if you look before COVID, what the salary cap was going up, it was consistently raising uh, a significant amount every year. Uh, and then COVID kind of put the whole uh, kibosh on that. So, yeah, it'll be great uh, to see it rise more than just by a million bucks, uh, hopefully next season. But, yeah, anytime you get more revenue, it helps. Um, an extra game or two isn't necessarily going to make the difference, um, especially compared to uh, the 82 games that each team plays or the 41 home games each team gets, uh, however you want to look at it. But, hey, anything that's getting more money into the owner's pockets um, or the NHL's pockets uh, is going to help the salary cap in the long run. Uh, question number 14 from Snail. Uh, if you could bring one active modern-day enforcer to Pittsburgh, who would it be? This question is really open to interpretation. Uh, me personally, I'm not in favor of enforcers or that style of hockey. Uh, but for the sake of the question, I was looking and I guess we'll classify an enforcer based on the number of fights they get in. For Snail, I was looking at the fighting majors leaders through the 2022-23 season. Nick Delorier had a total of 14 fights. Uh, nine away fights and five home fights. Veteran Patrick Maroon had a total of 12 fights throughout the season. Austin Watson had 12 fights. However, the player that I am going to go with for this question, since it was pretty much open to interpretation as to what modern day is, I'm going to go with Tanner Jeannot, who I believe plays for the, uh, well, he was playing for the Nashville Predators. He was traded to the Tampa Bay Lightning at the trade deadline earlier this season. He's six foot two, 208 pounds. He's a left winger, 25 years old. He'll be 26 at the end of May. In 172 career games, he has 35 goals, 31 assists for 66 points, 239 penalty minutes. So he can score a little bit here and there. He does have 24 a 24 goal season to his name during the 2021-22 season with the Nashville Predators. During that season, he ra he played in 81 games, 24 goals, 17 assists for 41 points, and racked up 130 penalty minutes during that season. So he definitely plays with an edge. His nickname is the Oxbow Ox in recognition of his physical play and his hometown being Oxbow, Saskatchewan. So that's who I would want. If if we're ha if we have to bring one enforcer, I would want this Tanner Janot, uh, a young winger who can put the puck in the net here and there. Obviously, he's a big body, 6'2", 208. So that is my my final answer. Let's trade Tanner Janot to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Question number 15, Robbie, comes from Snail. Ricard Raquel was a great deadline pickup in the moment, but I was skeptical when they signed him long-term. 
Malkin's wingers once upon a time were Aaron Ashram, Patrick Hornquist, and Eric Fair. These were north-south players with size and the ability to create space for Evgeny Malkin. And and Snail's question is, do you think we need a different look second-line right wing alongside Evgeny Malkin? Raquel, I think, is obviously not going anywhere. Uh, They didn't sign. I mean, I know a new front office will come in, but when you have trouble scoring goals, you don't want to necessarily get rid of one of the guys who did score goals for you. So I think if Zucker comes back, you take a look at Malkin, Zucker, and Raquel in the wings. Um, Again, you saw a bunch of different stuff go on with Malkin. Yeah, he's had some, definitely had some interesting names uh, skate alongside him at times uh, during his career, but uh, Raquel's, I think, obviously one of the best, at least true goal scorers. He can shoot. He had a great season this year. A lot of people were questioning uh, that contract, so Snail wasn't uh, the only one at all. But credit where it's due, that was, I mean, not just the contract, but the pickup uh, to begin with. Uh, last season at the trade deadline to get Ricard Raquel uh, in Pittsburgh, one of the few good moves you can say that came from the Hextall regime. I like Raquel there. Does exactly what you want a second line center to do. He shoot first. He has a nasty shot, and and he can put the he can pour him in the net. Um, give him a full year, another full year in Pittsburgh. I think he can get to thirty next year, no problem. So I I like uh, Raquel there. I have no desire. I really don't think if we're looking at how they can restructure this team in the offseason, there's not much to the top six uh, that should or needs to be done outside of whatever they want to do with Jason Zucker. But I think for the most part, uh, you kind of roll into next season with that. That was not at all the problem. Question, last but not least, question number 16 uh, from Snell. Is anyone else still confused why Brian Burke and Ron Hexel, of all people, made our team softer than ever? Heard rumors Mike Sullivan doesn't like the gritty big players and is an advocate for the punish them with the power play. It's tough to watch Sid do everything plus stick up for everyone. Uh, the age-old debate of what kind of hockey is better to watch, whether you like the rugged, physical, enforcer-esque style, which I'm gathering from Snail's questions he is a fan of, or do you like the puck possession, speed, and skill, as as Snail described it, the punish them on the power play kind of hockey. This debate has been going on for, for how many years now? I haven't heard the same rumors regarding what Sullivan likes and doesn't like from the kind of players. I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't like those big plotting skaters who it would seemingly contradict what made him successful when he got to Pittsburgh in 2015-16 anyway. So that would make sense. Uh, punishing them on the power play. Well, the Penguins really, they they didn't really punish a lot of people on the power play this season. That's going to have to be revamped, hopefully heading into next season. But Hextall tried to make them tougher, acquiring bigger bodied forwards like Jeff Carter. Mikel Granlund did not fit that description at all. I I don't know what Ricard Raquel's current uh, like size and height and weight is. I don't think he is a massive forward. Regarding Sidney Crosby sticking up for everybody, that's what I mean. Hey, that's what a captain's supposed to do. He's supposed to stick up for his teammates. Everyone calls him a crybaby and a whiner, always complaining to the referees. Uh, I think he's a student of the game who is absolutely sticking up for his teammates. Is it true that the Penguins are a small team? Yeah, there, there's no denying that they are small in literal stature. They don't have 
a 6'5", 6'6", 230-pound forward bruising bodies into the glass every night. They just don't have that. It's hard to find a big, towering six foot six guy who can skate effectively in this modern-day NHL when so much of it is predicated on speed and skill. So that 80s-era style hockey is definitely of a bygone era and you know whether or not you agree with having a roster spot saving a roster spot for a player like Orion Reeves who is on the fourth line basically just to hit people into the boards every night you know that's up for you to decide me personally I don't think it's worth it uh, I think you ice the best 12 players you can in your forward lines and and run with it that way and like Mike Sullivan says punish them on the power play punish them with your speed and skill and your transition game your puck possession maintaining pressure in the offensive zone you're not going to win too many games in 2023-2024 by beating your opponent to death and smashing them into the boards it remains an integral part of the game you know that physicality the importance of it, it has lessened, obviously, over the years. The Penguins are small. Will they get bigger? That remains to be seen. Who are they going to bring in? But if they do get bigger, don't get bigger and more physical for the sake of it and eliminate, basically, a roster spot in the forward group just so you can have a guy go out there and retaliate after the fact, after one of your stars gets injured. Because that's what happens. These Ryan Reeves types... They are going to go out there after something has happened. They're not going to stop something before it happens. That Everyone thinks that's what Ryan Reeves does. He goes out there and stops guys from injuring star players before things happen. That never happens. It's Ryan Reeves going out there after somebody gets injured to try and drop the gloves. So I'll get off my soapbox for now and, and you know stop talking and, and debating the merits of physical play versus puck possession based play. And uh, we'll leave the conversation there and we will end the mailbag with me getting on and getting off my soapbox. Uh, so Robbie, uh, we got through 16 questions this week. Anything else you'd like to add before we get out of here? Nope. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Uh, it's going to be, I don't know wherever you're at, but it looks like it's going to be another rainy and cold week. So um, if you're somewhere it's sunny, um, please go outside for me. And for me as well, uh, it is the start of May. My birthday is on Saturday, and I think the weather might start cooperating towards the end of the week. So hopefully I'll be able to go and do something fun for my birthday. And like Robbie said, Robbie and I, we don't live too far away from one another. Uh, he's in Johnstown. I'm south of Pittsburgh. The weather is basically the same here. Definitely not the start of May. I, I thought it was going to be. Hey, we're one day closer to warmer, warmer weather, and that's what I'm looking forward to the most. For Robbie Noggle, I have been Garrett Bahanna. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Penscast Mailbag, and we will talk to all of you again this time next week.